Welcome to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. Here are your hosts, Alex Kingsbury and Danny Piper. Hello and welcome to episode eight of Printing Money. My name is Alex Kingsbury. With me today is my co-host, Danny Piper. Hello, Danny. Hey, Alex. Good to be back again. And joining us today is our markets guy, Troy Jensen. Hello, Troy. Hi, Alex. Thanks for hosting me. Um, Of course, it's August, so all the quarter two results have come in. Troy, I know you've been listening to those earnings calls, so um, plenty of information to digest. And there's obviously been heaps of activity in the 3D printing share market in general, so can't wait to dive into that with you. First up, though, we've got a couple of acquisitions to discuss. There's a little bit of activity on the M&A. I, actually, I was giving Danny a slightly hard time um, only about a week ago, just saying, what's happening with these M&A guys? You're just doing nothing, Danny. You're all slacking off now. The summer's finally hit, maybe, and, and no deals are flowing. But but just in the last week or so, we've had two, two uh, acquisitions come in. So um, how about we dive into those and then get stuck into the share market stuff, guys? That's perfect. But I mean, you got to expect financings, especially this year with the markets being down, that's sort of one issue, but you get the summer doldrums in Europe and uh, a lot of people on vacations everywhere. So sometimes deal activity slumps. That's why I don't think we have a lot. Uh, I think we will see, hopefully, knock on some wood, we might have some uh, some new deals to talk about on the next uh, episode. So I know all the investment bankers out there are working hard, but I'm glad to see there are two that we can cover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So first up... Um, this was a, an interesting one. Eslam Solutions acquires Adira Ad Creative. Um, that's a Portugal-based company. They've got a really unique approach that was uh, licensed out of Fraunhofer ILT, uh, which was around this movable process head technology. Um, it's capable of a, a, a one-by-one-meter build uh, platform. So, um, you know, with, with obviously an extending Z of, of uh, assume, presumably whatever height you want to, um, but also importantly, capable of uh, handling up to 12 lasers at one time. I'd like to probably put a clarification point here. Is, is, um, I talked to Adira and Ad Creative is a product in the Adira family. So when I looked at PitchBook and some of the reportings, um, some people are booking this as a complete acquisition of the companies. I don't think that's the case. I think Adira has other metal forming processes. They're backed by Sine Capital. And we had a conversation with them a little over a year ago about what to do with Ad Creative. And our suggestion was really that they should tuck this into one of the existing laser powder bed fusion companies, because starting up a new one in this environment is very challenging in its own right. So I think that's sort of where they where they went. So I think this is actually the acquisition of the Ad Creative technology. And that seems consistent, by the way, with the press release that came out from SLM on this one. So I don't believe it's the acquisition of the entire company, Adira, just the ad creative technology, which is the only thing they had really going in the additive portfolio. So the, that's correct. You know, Adira is the, the parent company and it's really just this um, sub-company that was focused on LPBF technology, the ad creative that um, is being acquired here. But, you know, ad creative, i got to say, when this uh, press release came out, a lot of people were scratching their heads and going, oh, like not to be rude, but who are they? Again, um, they did launch in sort of 2015, I think it was, um, and have been reasonably silent since then. It was really a commercialization vehicle for this technology out of Fraunhofer. 
you know, I, I will say one thing about this. It's 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 a unique take, right? So it's uh, basically you've got the whole entire what's called this movable process head technology um, where you can take this transportable process head, I guess you'd say, which would include, you know, gas transfer and it's also got your, your laser system, your optics as well, which are apparently movable um, as well. And it, it can move around this one metre by one metre area. That's the approach to doing a sort of larger format printing. And, um, you know, look, fair to say, you know, large format printing has been hugely topical and is absolutely where the future of LPBF is headed. Um, and so, uh, you know, and SLM Solutions has certainly played in this space. Uh, this could be a good way of securing a little bit of IP that potentially will be useful to them in their um, in their product suite. They're, they're pitching it more as a, a sort of a machine drop-in solution for their product portfolio, which I don't really completely buy um, because uh, I think that it's more a matter of this is just useful IP for their existing portfolio and, and an opportunity to maybe create a different, create a new machine that's sitting in between the um, the NXG and their much larger format machine that was announced in Formnext last year. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have a separate ad creative branded entity. I mean, I think you've already got SLM with established brand capability, customer attraction. And that was sort of the thing is you can't go to market as ad creative and Adira and really tackle this market with major customers unless you, you know, spend a lot of money on market development customers. So I think you're going to see SLM is going to integrate this in with their existing platforms. Now, they may have a, a standalone machine that'll do this, but it'll become part of the SLM family. And, and to your point, it's, it's, it sort of helps address sort of that larger format market that is a growing segment of the market. For me, it's a, it's a good, um, probably is a good fit with SLM, actually, uh, as I think about sort of the other options that potentially were on the table for them. And I mean, you know, maybe just continuing a consolidation theme, it's actually really good to see uh, some consolidation happening um, it, because, you know, particularly in the LPBF space, it's very crowded um, and surviving in the current market is just not realistic for, for a, a, an OEM that's not getting enough traction. Yeah, I'd say let's move on to the next one. Okay, so we'll move on to the next one, which is Additech acquires Alum Additive Solutions from Xerox. Uh, Alum Additive Solutions from Xerox was uh, formerly known as Veda Systems. Um, and as we are all aware, uh, Alum Additive um, has been you know, effectively closed up um, with Xerox. They maintained um, some servicing, and um, but basically said they weren't going to sell any more machines. Um, which was a huge blow to that team. It's a really great team, actually, um, but it got cut right down um, to a very core team to just maintain the systems that are out there. And uh, now it's been acquired by Aditech. Aditech is um, is probably better known um, by its JV with um, Maltio, which does a laser and plus wire or powder um, directed energy deposition system. Um, so in some ways, a nice home for um, Alum Additive, and certainly it was uh, it, w- it wasn't going to have a thriving future in f- in front of it, you know, sitting with Xerox. I remember meeting Scott Bader at um, gosh, Rapid in Pittsburgh many years ago, and it was at a similar time where I had the opportunity to work with Melissa Warm, and all the technology that Bader Systems developed here was predicated on Melissa's old IP, and. Melissa was probably three, four, five years ahead of where Vader Systems was at the time on deposition rates, both on speed and the fidelity of how 
um, smaller particles you could you could do in their droplet technology. We were hoping to, in some ways to get uh, Melissa together with the Vader team, but that also came at a time when Boeing stepped in and wanted Melissa to take over for all of her additive. I'm glad to see that technology has a home. I think there's definitely an interesting place for it. And, you know, I don't know, I can't speak to what Xerox has done with it since the acquisition, but I think there's really a couple paths that they can take with it. One's on powder development and doing unique powders. And the other one is actually doing metal 3D printing because it's a direct droplet, right? You have a, a sort of a, a large vat that you melt uh, material into, and then you can control the droplet size. So you can get unique alloys in that uh, droplet area. You know, it's good to have a home. I think there's a good place for this at some point. It's going to need some market development for sure. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, continuing to push this along is a great thing. And, you know, we'll see what Aditech can do with it. Uh, unfortunately, Xerox was not able to stay the course here. But uh, I think they were shooting for much bigger market opportunities. And this is sort of a niche player. I would have thought that, you know, Xerox hitching all their hopes of inadditive on one technology, which is, is this, you know, formerly Vader Systems was, was not the best strategy. Um, but uh, I, I think just to pick up on your point there, though, I believe it's wire-fed. It's a wire-fed system. They may have moved it to that, but the way that the principal technology from the from the onset and the first Vader systems machines, they looked a lot like what Melissa had developed, where you create sort of this melt. Uh, I don't want it's not a reservoir. Cool, it's a yeah, it's reservoir, yeah. and then you control the droplet. Um, and so, if they moved it to wire base, um, then, then you'll lose some of the unique powder capabilities. I mean, and actually, it's it's interesting because I think just picking up on some of your points, Danny. The, one of the criticisms has been the the lack of productivity of with these machines and also the um, the fidelity as well you know the complexity of the parts that you can get out and um, we discussed in a previous episode uh, with Arno when he was our guest um, a fluent metal um, and uh, we we did delve into some of their patents with fluent metal um, and it sounds sort of alarmingly similar to to the Vader systems technology but um, it was funny because in the patent for uh, fluent metal they specifically called out that this is not a reservoir based droplet technology Uh, like it seemed like a very sort of direct answer to that we are not beta systems you know claim i guess uh but yeah anyway so uh let's let's see what what meltio can do with this this um vetus x beta systems technology great well i say let's transition into the more exciting uh area over the summer which is the public markets yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Troy, you've been very quiet over there. Right. Yeah. Any um, any uh, comments on our on our acquisition so far? Yeah, I'd say well, so a busy couple of weeks with uh, with earnings and golf season going on right now. So I didn't dive into a lot of the. <laughs> <how many laughs> of busy time. <clears throat> I will say though that I'm a huge fan of SLM Solutions and you know what Sam O'Leary and teams done over there. So I'm pretty sure there it was a well thought out move and uh, you know they'll do a good job integrating it. So I wish those guys the best, but. Uh, but yeah, as far as uh, you know, public companies go now, pretty much everybody in the space has reported uh, their Q2 results with the exception of uh, a voxel jet. You know, for the most part, it was soft, like most people would have expected. Um, I'm calling it the, uh, the quarter of managed expectations. And it's a term that gets used a lot uh, in Wall Street, or we kind of call it the setup. You know, if like the company guided down or where the stock is in relationship to expectations and, and what you think their quarter is going to do. Um, but if you look at the results here, desktop metal and Stratasys both beat, right? The numbers that they printed looked really good based on consensus what the analysts were modeling for Q2. And both companies reiterated uh, their expectations for the full year. Mark Forge was pretty much in line 
you know, they had guided fairly conservative when they provided guidance and reiterated their guidance also. They had tweaked it, uh, some of the profitability slightly. But then 3D Systems and Velo both missed Q2 results, you know, fairly meaningfully, guided down for the year. Um, you know, the stocks, you know, got, you know, beat up because of that. But, you know, what I've been looking at, you know, the emails that I've been sending out to investors on the results here is I'm looking at first half over first half for all the vendors, right? So um, it's kind of interesting. The first half sales growth year over year for Velo was 63%, right? So despite, despite the fact you know, that they just crushed numbers, or excuse me, uh, have been crushing their growth rate, you know, they just came in with such inflated expectations and guidance. The issue that Velo has here is good technology growing rapidly. You know, they claimed some of the existing customers weren't ordering as much as they had expected. You know, SpaceX is a big customer there and other kind of defense and aerospace companies. Uh, but new customer growth uh, was, was really good for them. Um, but they're unprofitable and they've got a big burn rate and they didn't have a lot of cash. So they had announced a $70 million convertible offering and, uh, you know, hopefully that gives them runway now to get to profitability. Hopefully they don't have to go back to the well and raise more capital. You know, that's why most investors in this space, you know, avoid a lot of these additive names because it's been a lack of profitability. And that's been, you know, something I've been, uh, been preaching. If you look at the kind of rank order in the growth rates for the year over year guys, you know, Velo One was 63%. Mark Forged was actually up 7.5% year over year in the first half. Uh, that's a company that I like a lot. I hear, always hear great things about their products, uh, either software. You know, they've got a lot of cool product cycles right now. They got the FX20 that's ramping. Uh, they're kind of a year into the launch now, so you're going to start to see a bigger, bigger revenue contribution. They got the PX100, which was the digital metal acquisition that they did last year. Uh, that might not hit revenues this year, more of a next year story. Uh, but they've also got a whole bunch of new software coming out. Uh, they've got some new materials that I think they're going to launch at Formnext. And they've been very visible or very vocal about um, launching a new product. And uh, the company's been clear that it's a new technology, um, not an existing FDM or, you know, the powder bed technology. So, you know, I really just speculating. I thought it could be a DLP system. They're having an analyst day here in early September. And I think they're going to unveil it right before that and, and kind of show the analysts and, and then take this and show it also at, uh, at Form Next this year. Quick note here, uh, you know, the stock for Mark Forge has, uh, has been kind of crazy lately. If you look, it went from like sub a dollar to a little bit north of two, and now it's settled in around buck fifty or something. You know, it got really, really just beat up on um, just the space and, and lack of profitability. Um, way, way undervalued on an EV to sales multiple versus the other guys in the space, but kind of in line with where Stratasys trades. I think a lot of guys are putting uh, these guys as prototyping and and not as much production and, and just giving them lower multiples. Um, but anyway, uh, the rumor, the speculation, what I believe is when dust or when Nano Dimensions announced that they're pulling their um, offer, their tender offer for, um, you know, 51% of Stratasys, uh, the speculation was that they're going to now have to go back and buy Mark Forged. So that was kind of, to me, the cause of that rally. And then uh, maybe a week or so later, Nano announced that they're doing a $275 million share repurchase. And I think the fear then is, you know, investors are now thinking they're not going to buy, do an acquisition quick. You know, so we saw um, Mark Forge stock comes back. So unfortunately, I, I'd say Mark Forge is kind of one of these meme stocks. 
you go back, you know, last couple of years, we had these crazy moves on crazy valuation changes on not a lot of news. Not much so real stuff. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. But I do like Mark Forge. I think it's, you know, well-run, good products, good product cycle story, still relatively cheap. Um, you know, some of this other acquisition mergers don't happen. Um, you know, Mark Forge would make a, a perfect partner for one of these bigger guys that would need an FDM platform. Well, I think we uh, we had said on this podcast before that Nano Dimension was probably biting off more than they could chew on trying to get Stratasys. And I'm surprised that they never took a harder look at Mark Forge because they have a good product portfolio. They have a better pathway and probably were a size that was more digestible. Um, and frankly, I'm shocked that they did the share buyback uh, just because they don't have sort of the pathway for revenue growth and profitability that they could have gotten through an acquisition. Um, but I'm not going to comment on what makes sense for Nano Dimension anymore because uh, I can't, uh, I don't think anybody can crack that riddle. But I think for Mark Forge, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, in, in some ways they should trade. I think they've had some of the better margins in the industry. You know, they've, they've held up pretty well. On Velo, you started there. Uh, you know, I, I wonder a little bit, and I just don't have good visibility. I think you mentioned they lowered their guidance a little bit. And I just wonder, is that because the customer side here is softening right now with capital equipment and the capital expenditures? Because I don't think it's a, you know, is it, you know, any kind of performance, you know, issue that Velo's having with their products? I think they, you know, continue to to perform quite well. But uh, this is just a tough market, and they, in terms of price point, are at the upper end of the laser powder bed fusion price point in the market. Can I interject for a second, sorry, and just maybe raise a point? Because I actually really like the fact that, Troy, you started out with Velo and then moved straight to Mark Forge, because as far as products are concerned, like, they're quite different, right? Um, you know, MacForge tends to sell more units at lower price points, and Velo definitely is at the other, you know, right at the other end of things, they sell less units for much higher price points. Um, and, uh, and you know, you mentioned their growth, you know, year on year has been really extraordinary. But I mean, that's coming off a pretty, uh, you know, a relatively low base of not selling that many units, just because they are such huge investment, you know, one off investments um, for companies. But they're kind of a similar sizing, the two of them um, as companies, and also the two of them seem to be sort of ones that would benefit from a home somewhere else or, or, or even a, you know, a merger with, with someone else or, you know, that, that there would be a, a beneficial partnership somewhere in the making for either of them. So, and all I'd say is the ranking order and how I'm presenting these really just had to do with the year of year growth rates for the first half. And just making a point about, you know, managing your expectations. Um, so Vela had the highest, so I started with them. Um, what I want to say, I'm going to tie this into your question about having a home. Your uh, Danny's comments on Nano and have, should have looked at Mark Forge. The problem is if you continue to buy a lot of unprofitable companies, you burn all your cash and you got a huge burn rate, right? And I think that's why Nano is already trading at a huge discount to their cash because everybody knows they have to finance these companies that they have with this cash flow, right? So I would argue they needed profitability, they needed to absorb a bigger company with that cash. And that's why they went after a Stratasys. But then it did kind of outgrow them. And then they just tried to get this majority position in it right now. But to that point, yes, Velo should use a home. Scale efficiencies now is a big topic. And, you know, we're going to get to this later, hopefully. But, you know, if you believe in, you know, scale efficiencies, this industry needs to consolidate some more. And, and there's some discussions of that happening. So. Yeah, the unprofitable guys would definitely benefit a lot, uh, you know, being in a bigger home and 
getting rid of some of these redundant costs. Yeah, and that $70 million convert, I mean, $22 million of that was used to repay debt for Velo. Um, and so the extra cash just gives them means that they're now, you know, sort of debt free and um, and gives them a bit more runway. Um, and I also noted that they lowered their guidance um, a tad as well for the rest of the year. So yeah, I like your um, your notes, Troy. They're always got some sort of slightly literary reference <laughs> in the titles. <laughs> yeah, I've been creative. It's been fun to kind of be a, a free to speak openly, right, so to speak. But um, I'll keep going here. I'll work through the rest of the names here. So uh, so desktop metal, like I said, they had a beat, right? Like a pretty healthy Q2, but on a year over year basis, their first half business is down about six percent versus uh, the first half of last year. The company was, you know, talked about being really upbeat, you know, end of the quarter, saw a lot of conversions of orders, talking about being upbeat, uh, you know, on the visibility for the second half. You know, part of me wonders how much is that they're, they're in negotiations right now to merge, even if they needed to lower their guidance, probably not the best quarter to do it for them, right, for negotiating tactics, so to speak. So we'll see if they can pull up, but they got a very, very big uh, second half ramp. And it just, uh, to me, it's just kind of, uh, we'll see if they, if the setup now for those guys is good for the, for the second half, just continue here. We'll, I'll, we can talk about all three shortly here, but, uh, 3d systems, uh, another company that missed, they guided down a lot. A lot of that has to go with, uh, you know, Jeff gave guidance of the industrial business growing 15% this year, uh, when they started the year. You know, they knew a line was going to be weak. They guided that down for about 30 or 35%. That's been in line with their expectations. It's just the industrials not growing like they had hoped. So now they're talking about eight to, you know, call it 12%, you know, high single, low double digit uh, year over year growth rates for industrial. You know, their argument, if you look at these year over year growth rates, they say if you take a line out of both first halves, they would have had, you know, three or 4% year over year revenue growth. I didn't include that in my charts because to me, it's everybody could probably call it one customer. Right, that was down a lot for them, so the numbers would inflate. It'll be really nice if we could just pick and choose our numbers like that, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. So you know, here's the numbers, Jeff, that I'm going to use. You know, you're kind of down 8.6 percent year over year, but the good news is they'll have an easier setup now for next year, and we won't take a line out if they come back, right, and, and start. <laughs> um, and then just lastly is Stratasys, uh, another nice company. This has been a stock a company that I've always liked. It's the most profitable in the space. They actually have positive operating margins on a gas on a gap basis. You know, they get some good product cycles. Obviously, Origin's been a good hit for those. FDM seems to be going well still, and uh, and uh, even their IPS seems to be uh, be good. But um, year-over-year growth for those guys was down 6% on a year-over-year basis. Um, I will point out that, you know, they had MakerBot last year, but now this year you got Covestra, so it's not quite apples to apples. Uh, they did reiterate their guidance. They, it was interesting, the company uh, was very clear on their earnings call that they are still moving forward with all the diligence uh, for the desktop metal merger that they announced. Um, but they're dual tracking and the board's trying to assess whether or not uh, the 3D systems offer is actually superior. So remember the 3D offer had a lot of stock component. Stock was at 10 to 11 when some of these uh, negotiations started. You know, now it's kind of seven to eight, right? So it's, uh, I think there's, I honestly think Stratus is, you know, kind of held out took their time because they knew they had a good quarter and maybe thought uh, 3D systems didn't. Um, so it gave them more negotiating. I think they're probably trying to get a higher percentage of the combined company. I think we're at like 44, 45% was the last offer, but I'll have to kind of confirm that. 
But yeah, so we'll see what happens right now. I think uh, if those two can negotiate, you know, a higher percentage of ownership for Stratasys, it would still be a very accretive move for the shareholders. You'd still probably get up to, you know, $20, $21. But, uh, you know, we'll see. And if they don't, if the board decides that's not superior, they're going to move forward with desktop metal, but they still need shareholder approval. You know, and I've been kind of adamant. I don't think the company should do it. I think we need, Stratasys needs to focus on profitability and they don't need, you know, kind of an unprofitable business to try to integrate right now. Yeah, so the um, due diligence was supposed to have finished before these um, quarterly calls. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the 3D systems call, the Jeff specifically said we were hoping to have made an announcement today, but, um, you know, that's that's not going to happen. Um, and kind of alluded to Stratasys dragging their feet a little bit on the due diligence process, um, which to exactly to your point, Troy, was, uh, I suspect, related to, you know, the fact that they felt like they, they had a good quarter to share and that they wanted to share that first and then proceed with some negotiations. So it does seem like a, a good tactic there. Go, Danny. Well, it's it's sort of interesting that, you know, I think it, Stratasys actually came out and said it was 3D Systems dragging their feet, right? That they were wanting to do an evaluation of whether this to be a, a superior proposal and they had submitted all of the stuff in their data room, but yet 3D Systems hadn't populated the data room that was necessary for Stratasys. So there's a lot of game playing going on here for sure. And it you know kind of makes you wonder, I think, if if we're looking at sort of the latest reporting rounds, right, who does that favor more? It sounds like, you know, to your point, Troy, this probably gives a little bit more advantage to Stratasys to sort of renegotiate a little bit. And and if if those PR reports are right, you know, 3D system probably should have been a little more aggressive on populating that data room and moving this forward sooner. Right. But yep. uh, with that said, it didn't happen. So uh, now that, um, and I'm sure as, as they got close to the quarterly reporting timeframe, you know, everybody had to put pens down to some extent to get the quarterly reports out. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming they're all resuming these things here fairly quickly, trying to figure out what makes the most sense. I would expect to hear an announcement, you know, within a week or so, really, because if they were that close, you know, when Jeff thought they're going to announce it on earnings date, I don't know if you guys saw, but, you know, Stratasys announced their date and time and the 3D systems literally layered right on top of it. Yeah. And yeah. The they, they, time, they, their earnings calls were back to back, basically. Right. And, and and didn't they have to, they had to uh, reschedule too, because they were well, going to be at the same time. The last time that happened desktop metal and X1 overlapped and they announced their merger that night. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I saw that, I speculated that, right? Cause Jeff knew better, you know, there's no way he just didn't know Stratasys was reporting at that time. Right. So I shouldn't say Jeff, Jeff, you're innocent. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So then I think it was back to the negotiating tactics and Stratasys drug their feet and wanted to wait and, you know, just reschedule their meetings. So. We'll if I were speculating, I think it's going to probably get announced the moment we launch this uh, episode of the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> so it'll be obsolete and we're going to have to have some kind of a, an issue to, to fix that. Yeah. Oh, well, if, if, it, it, if it does happen, then at least we're uh, relatively ahead of time. There's always a couple of days delay between recording this and, and publishing it out. So. Right. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but look, I mean, Stratasys is fair to say is in a, in a fantastic negotiating position. So why should they not, uh, do everything they can to, you know, they have, they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. So of course they should negotiate the best possible position out of this, whatever this looks like. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, it would seem that, um, a, a merger either way is going to happen. Um, you know, don't, I don't think it necessarily needs to happen by the way for Stratasys, but it does seem like there will be a merger. Um, and yeah, we should, we should hear hopefully 
relatively soon. Um, I did note in the 3D Systems call, Jeff Graves gave almost like a rousing speech about consolidation and about efficiencies in the industry and the fact that we are absolutely pivoting in 3D printing from, you know, the, the prototyping lab type environment into production, into into um, uh, a, a proper manufacturing environments. And so that the 3D printing industry needs to respond to that call um, and that it can do that better or 3D systems and stratasys could do that better by combining and um, and offering a, a, a more seamless experience, um, I guess. Um, I mean, I would argue again, and I've said this before, that uh, I don't know that two 3D printing companies merging is necessarily going to be the thing that really scales 3D printing. Um, you know, I, I still think that a better solution here is for any one of these companies to to take the SLM route, you know, and and join up with a much, much larger manufacturer. But uh, anyway, it would, it would seem that that is not going to happen, though. Yeah, we'll see. I've always said I think these companies end up being a division of a, of a bigger company one day, right? So even if they do merge, there's still bigger guys than them that could come in in the equipment industry, right, and take them out. So, But, I, you know, I would just end with, and we'll go to service bureaus next, but, um, you know, for the most part, people are still upbeat about just the tone, the activity. There's still a lot of interest, but it's just, it's hard to change to a new, you know, manufacturing process in just an uncertain environment. So everybody talks about the pipeline looks robust. I always kind of joke, I say it always does in a recession, right? Because the old deals don't close and the new ones come in. So yeah, pipeline grows, but uh, we just got to get the conversions to happen again. So, I mean, I'm still optimistic for next year and in this industry, but, uh, you know, for the most part, first half was a little soft. On to the service bureaus. Um, So it's interesting. We do our quarterly survey. Um, We talked to probably about 40-ish service bureaus per per quarter. And we ask above and below plan. Um, we did get, uh, you know, negative feedback. It was actually fairly balanced. Oh, no, excuse me, there was more uh, below plan than above plan uh, responses. But if you look at our chart, it showed just a deceleration for five consecutive quarters. So um, it seems like um, some of just demand trends have softened also in the service bureau based on our survey work and some of the results of, of the public companies. So just quickly go through them. I mean, some of these guys have a lot of CNC and injection molding, and they're not purely additive. Um, you know, do you use them as proxies, though, for additive? Because sometimes a lot of that can be new product introduction and, um, you know, kind of competitive to, you know, additive spending. But, um, you know, Fathom reported results. You know, they had their fourth consecutive quarter of sequential revenue declines and guided for their fifth sequential quarter. Um, you know, production activity is kind of slow for those guys. Um, you know, they have a lot of debt and not a lot of cash. They have more debt than cash. By like something like 130, 140 million of net debt. Have positive EBITDA, they're paying off their debt properly, but it's just a company that's uh, it's hard to get a lot of institutional interest in because they've got that sole situation of you know lack of profits and 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 not a good balance sheet. The next one on my list here, Proto Labs, they uh, are the only profitable company in the industry. Um, you know, I do like them because of that. They've been more profitable in the past, but you know they just got lower growth. Uh, you think of them as, you know, a mid to you know, maybe high single digit type of a grower um, on the base business. You know, the excitement for them is their hubs business, which is more of a marketplace that grew like 70 percent uh, year over year to like 20 million. Um, you know, so that's what they're calling now their their network, right? Their partners and factory is something that they produce uh, internally. So, um, you know, good little company you know, not a lot of growth, but, uh, you know, they're just kind of are what they are. Exometry is the big competitor in this marketplace. They actually put up a good quarter. I think they grew about 7% sequentially in Q2. Um, 
they got it down, but it's because they kind of shut down some operations in the U.S. Um, but they did guide for uh, Q3 to be up about 8% sequentially and Q4 to be up about 10 to 12% sequentially to get to the midpoint of their guidance. You know, it's a company that I don't have a favorable opinion on for the stock. Um, I just feel like it's it's unprofitable. It also has a huge convertible debt. Uh, they do have some cash right now, but they're going to flip to net debt here shortly. And I just feel like they're, the customer acquisition cost for the new customers are really high and they never really kind of monetize our profit uh, based on that customer acquisition costs. Um, Shapeways, uh, they also reported uh, uh, Monday, kind of an inline quarter, might've been a slight beat on revenues, but you know, I kind of looked at the history of straight uh, Shapeways and I think for like the past know, 13 consecutive quarters, they've been kind of stuck between, you know, eight, nine million in revenue, right? So, you know, now they're really pushing for, you know, their auto software to ramp. Uh, it was about 700,000 in the quarter, uh, you know, 1.4 for the year. I think they said it's going to beat 3.6. So they get 2.2 million in the second half. But, you know, they got 25 million in cash. They're going to burn probably about 7 million this quarter, um, you know, a little less than that next quarter. It's just the same thing. And it's been kind of um, unfortunate for this industry, but nobody's profitable. They all need more financing. And, you know, Shapeways, we just finally moved to, to a neutral on it. I probably shouldn't have had a buy previously. Um, just kind of felt like it was too cheap and trading at a zero enterprise value, but I just feel like they're going to continue to, to burn their cash. And then just lastly, and then I'll open it up, we can uh, just chat. Uh, but Materialize, I, I didn't mention them. They kind of you know, slipped through the cracks because you know, they're more software and then their healthcare services has been really good on their additive side and on their manufacturing side. Um, they've done a nice job. Uh, a lot of it's been their ACT acquisition, so they're getting into bigger parts. And it's more on the CNC side because it's like cranes and, you know, railroad cars and, and trains and stuff like that. Uh, but they are a little bit more cautious on kind of what they're seeing in their additive uh, bureau for, for Q3. So, I mean, I think with regards to all the services companies, um, I feel like what you're alluding to here, Troy, is that that this, this part of the market is relatively ripe for consolidation as well. Um, you know, Fathom seems to be in, in, in quite a bit of trouble uh, and really needing an off-ramp somewhere to, to someone, something. <laughs> um, it doesn't really appear that they can continue as they're going. Yeah, Danny needs to get busy, right, and start uh, getting some of these companies out. You're going to summer holidays, Danny. I, I will. No, I, like I, I'll tell you, I'm sort of up to my eyeballs in some service bureau work now, and I, and I think there's a tale of two worlds going on out there, and I think that there are a few companies that are performing right now and they're actually performing well, but these are companies that have been working through development programs with big customers that are coming into tradition, uh, in, into production now. So they're ramping and scaling. And then there's those customers and, and to have done that work, right? These are companies that are, you know, working through rigorous, you know, aerospace defense type arenas and some medical. I think that's why you put you know, materialize in a little different category here, because I think they kind of fit that same kind of a bucket where, you know, high degree of engineering and production oriented, you know, companies there, those that have been doing it for a while are starting to get some of their payback. And then there's some that are right now that are struggling, right? Those that got started a little bit later in the curve, they haven't had the same exposure. And this is sort of on the private markets, but you know, I think you've got that same dynamic. You're seeing layoffs at a number of these service bureaus, and uh, I won't I won't pick on any, but you can just see that they're trying to right size to control your destiny, right? You you said this before. the 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 key here is everybody needs to get to profitability to control their destiny, 
and, and that's true on both the public companies and the private companies. And and that's where I think, you know, the, the fathoms of the worlds and the shapeways of the worlds in particular, right, they, they really are in a tough spot to, to get to those points, you know, and, and their circumstances are a little bit different um, in terms of how they're going to get there and what kind of customers that they're servicing. Right. So they're, they're a little more over all over the map. And I'll point out too that, I mean, Fathom is an acquisition of uh, or a merger of 13 different companies, right? So, you know, perfect story of a consolidation, but, you know, it's just too much debt kind of going into it. If it had been structured better, it, uh, you know, might be uh, in a better spot right now. But Is it not a bit of a cautionary tale, though, that when you're um, merging that many different companies, that there's just so much work to be done to integrate them properly and realize those cost efficiencies, which, you know, we didn't actually touch upon with the whole um, Stratasys uh, um, 3D systems thing, but, you know, 3D systems are, are claiming huge cost efficiencies uh, through a merger, uh, which, you know, I think everyone has been pretty pretty cyn- maybe cynical about or at least disbelieving, um, and certainly those cost synergies aren't really ever factored into any sort of calculations, right? But, I mean, merging so many different small shops essentially to create Fathom is not necessarily a super efficient uh, route. And they all didn't have the same capability and target focus, right? I mean, Fathom at the time, the, the, the Fathom piece of that, because it used to be Midwest Composites, right? Where they were they were very different in their approach. And Fathom, you know, had roughly 6 million of additive sales at the time that I think that they did that acquisition or somewhere near that, uh, that range. So there wasn't a big shop. They were doing more polymer oriented stuff. Midwest Composite was different. So the synergies are hard to ring out sometimes when you're just putting stuff together for the sake of putting stuff together. And, and that's private equity can operate both ways. Sometimes it's about just getting a, you know, top line growth and you put it all together and hope somebody else makes sense of it. Maybe that's what happened here. And sometimes they are very strategic. And I'll tell you, that's what we're starting to see in round two. Uh, we've run a couple of processes now in services. We've gone through probably about a thousand private equity groups. I can tell you it's probably less than 10 that really start to understand where this market can sit and what they can really do because it's just not their core business to really think about these operational, what fits well together, why did they go well together. So I think you're going to see a couple players emerge into this space and come into it uh, in the next, uh, I'll call it, year. Um, some will be announced here pretty soon, but I think you're going to see a, you know, a few more. This is going to be the increasing one. I think you're going to see some new players starting to emerge or new private equity coming in here, but it's not going to look like the days of old. And, and they're going to get really refined on profitability, EBITDA. How do you get there? What's the right pathway to do it? You keep hinting at, at a and teasing at a deal in the works, Danny. You were doing yeah. this in the last episode I, I as so. well. I, like my whole, my whole, <laughs> yeah, you know, my, I, I am. I am singularly focused on, or are doubly focused right now. Actually, it's triply. I've got th- three in this space that we're working at. So, you know, if there are buyers that are out there and are trying to do this, we literally take calls to private equity groups uh, on a regular basis and not even to pitch the clients, but just to pitch them on this industry and how maybe they should play it. Because I think there's been sort of, a, you know, an idea, if you build it, will they come, right? You know, and so people have deployed lots of money and this is true in the equipment side, but it's also been true in the services side. And I think what we're finding is if you can be patient and you can manage your your cash flows and you can operate at a more patient level, good things will come. And I think there's going to be, you know, I think there are a couple of existing players that are going to do very well here. And I think there are some new financing groups that are going to come in and take advantage of some that they can turn around. 
Yeah, I'll note on um, on Proto Labs, which continues to be, I think, a real exemplar in this space, is that they recently announced that they're offering a longer lead time, lower priced options for customers. So it is really um, answering to the idea that these bureau companies increasingly have a much more diversified set of customers, um, all requiring different different things out of their bureau providers. Um, you know, Shapeways signed a signed a major contract with a, an auto auto industry customer. That's going to be a very different type of customer to some more consumer goods, one off uh, based, you know, prototyping type customer. Um, and being able to to shift and change or adapt your business model as suits the needs of your customer and give different options is is a really good move for these kind of companies. Um, I've definitely seen in the past um, bureaus more more the privately owned ones really suffer um, under the fact that they haven't been able to change their business model uh, per customer request. Yeah, you comment uh, on the the Proto Labs uh, longer lead times. That's what they call their network, right? So that's going to be orders that they outsource to different contract manufacturers, right? That they can't do internally. Um, um, and their argument will be that, you know, they may get a customer that wants 10 parts and they can do seven, right? But they can't do those longer lead times, harder, more complex parts, and they won't get the order. So, you know, hopefully that they can have a complete solution offering and, and be, you know, one supplier to these customers. So we'll see if they're successful. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much, Troy, for joining us um, in episode eight. Really great to have you back again. And, um, you know, having you back after all these companies have reported their quarterly results is, is such a fantastic way, I think, of running this podcast. Looking forward to having you on again. Um, thank you again, Danny, for joining me as well. Um, and uh, just before we go, I just wanted to shout out the fact that um, we, while we didn't comment on any financings or VC investment in this episode, we do pretty much every other episode. Um, and we do use PitchBook and Capital IQ and FactSet, um, these types of resources to collect that data. Sometimes it's not 100% accurate. Um, and uh, and so to, on that note, I just wanted to um, go over the fact that we reported on Lightforce Orthodontics that we said um, raised an estimated $83 million in a Series D. There was a press release put out after we published, which was that it was $80 million. So a slight difference there. But uh, one that usually comes through in these um, types of uh, data collecting resources that we use. So um, on that note, please feel free to engage us if you've got some media about to be, be released. Um, we certainly will work with you under embargo. And uh, yeah, very happy to keep it confidential until we publish the episode. Um, and if there is also anything else that you want to comment on um, or provide some sort of maybe different perspective uh, please feel free to get in touch with us through 3dprint.com. All right, this has been episode eight. Thank you, Troy. Thank you, Danny, for joining and um, have a great day. You've been listening to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. For more information about what you just listened to or for past episodes, visit www.3dprint.com.